and everyone, welcome to you. Once more, my name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Good to see you. Very good to see you this morning. All of you in Cafe Worship, God bless you. We love you so much. Appreciate your participation in worship today. Anybody joining us by audio or video podcast, you honor us, and we appreciate your, uh, your, your taking time to find us. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. This is the final message in uh, our annual missions focus here at Woodburn Baptist. And today is the day that we collect our major gift for Jesus to the world. This is one time in the year when we gather all of the money that we expect to use to fund missions in the coming year. And uh, it is important for us. So if you're in this house today, we're going to collect two offerings in the cafe, two offerings. If you're a guest, don't freak out. Uh, we are not a church that really only values money. That, that's not who we are at all. We value you as a person, you and your family. You matter more to us than anything else in the world. Uh, and the gospel matters uh, more than anything to us. And spreading the gospel is what our church is about. It, it is about the mission that Jesus has called our church toward, and that involves money, and that is why we give. But if you're a guest, we're not asking you to give. This is about what we as a church feel called to do. So you relax, uh, but, but please also examine your own heart and ask what Jesus would have you do today in, in regard to uh, the, the purpose of the gospel. But Romans chapter 10 is where I want us to begin this morning, a very important passage. In the People's Republic of China, which of course is a communist country, uh, there's some debate over whether or not they actually have religious liberty, religious freedom. Most of us would say that they don't, but many of them actually argue that they do because of the existence of an institution called the Three Self Church. The, the Three Self Church in China is the state-sanctioned, state-approved church, and the Three Self Church is, is actually allowed to do their thing. And so the Three Self Church... They have church. They worship just like we're worshiping right here. They read the Bible, the same Bible that, that, that we are reading here, that they read the Bible. They sing hymns. Some of the hymns they sing, they actually sing to the tunes that you and I would know. So if you were to worship in a three-self church in communist China, you would probably recognize the tune of some of the hymns that they're singing. They preach Jesus. They preach the gospel inside the building. But, but that's the catch. Um, there's a sort of a deal that the three self church has with the uh, Chinese government, and that is simply that they will do their own thing as long as their thing does not involve telling others. You understand? They can have church in church, but they are not allowed to try to persuade others outside. As a matter of fact, among other things that uh, are, are, are not allowed by the three self church, you can't have children's ministry or youth ministry of any kind. Because indoctrinating others into the faith is simply what the government doesn't allow. So do you understand? The three-self church is allowed to have church as long as they are not a church on mission. That is exactly why something like 50 million Chinese Christians refuse to be a part of the three-self church. They choose to worship in house churches. They choose to go underground because for them, they can't possibly imagine how you can be a true church and abandon the Great Commission to tell others. The interesting thing about that fact for me, though, is, is, is when I think back about the United States churches that I know, at, at sometimes even including this one, and the thought occurs to me how a lot of United States churches would actually make pretty good three self-churches. You understand what I'm saying? 
would actually make a perfectly happy three-self church because there are a lot of congregations in the United States that have more or less abandoned evangelism. They have more or less abandoned being on mission. They come to church, they sing the hymns, they read the Bible, they even talk about Jesus, but they don't bother to do it anywhere outside of church. And you understand that, that there is something of a question of our integrity that arises when we call ourselves a true church, but we're not a church on mission. Because the very last words that Jesus said to the church were, to the ends of the earth. You understand? His intention, his expectation, his commission for us was that we would take the gospel to the world. Not that the world would come to church, but that the church would go to the world. You understand? So God help us. We are not going to be the church that abandons the mission. We are not going to be the church that only has church in church. We're going to be the church that goes to the world. Because God has poured his love out into our hearts, and his love is our passion, and his love is our purpose, and his love compels us to go tell others. You understand? So come with me to Romans chapter 10. Let's take a look at what Paul says here about the gospel, and then let's talk about our mission as goers and as senders. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. If you find the YouVersion live event today, one of the things I'm asking you to do as a family after you get home is to go back to this passage and read it with your children and talk about what it means to become a Christian. It's all right here. This is how a person becomes a Christian, among other things. Pay attention to what it says here. Romans chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. That is really simple. Do you see that? Verse 11, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them unless they have been sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Years ago, in the community of Woodburn, there was a a marvelous woman named Evelyn Balance. Evelyn was very, very important in this community, also very, very important in this church. Some of you will remember Evelyn. Evelyn was a, a, a grade school teacher for years and years and years. She was one of the best. And she taught in the boys' community in the little school there, and then she taught here at Woodburn for a thousand years. She was everybody's school teacher back in the old days. When Evelyn was a young school teacher, Uh, They say that she loved her students more than anything. She rode the school bus to school with the students. And then she would spend her entire day with students. And they say that Evelyn would play at recess with the kids. Just go out and play basketball or baseball or whatever it is that the kids were playing. Evelyn just played with the kids. I I love that. 
One day, Miss Evelyn tells a story that she was playing basketball with the kids, and the basketball bounced in the well. Okay, I don't know how to explain all this to you kiddos, but, 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 but there was a well. That's where the water came from. So picture this open pit into the bowels of the earth, and down at the very bottom of the well, you would lower a bucket way down, and you would pull the bucket back up, and, and it would have water. I mean, the, the well was, had water. And somehow the basketball bounced, 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 boosh, down into the bottom of the well. Now, as Miss Evelyn tells the story, at, at Woodburn School back in those days, they had plenty of kids, but only one basketball. So Miss Evelyn did the only thing she knew to do to get that ball back, and that is she looked around the playground, and she found the smallest boy. Don't y'all report her. She found the smallest boy on the playground, and she called him over, and she said, boy, you were born for this. She had him get in the bucket. Not making this up. She put the little boy in the bucket, and then she said she got some of the other boys, some of the big boys, to hold the rope, and they lowered him down into the bowels of the earth. They lowered that little boy down into the well. Down in the well, he fished out the basketball. He tugged the rope, and they pulled him back up. Evelyn said that as she thought back on that years later, she probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but she did. Like I say, she had lots of kids and only one basketball. So, uh, uh, yeah. I wanted to think about that partnership. That partnership that day of the boy in the bucket and the ones holding the rope, because I think that's the kind of partnership we're talking about when it comes to missions. We have somebody who must step into the bucket and be lowered into the bowels of the earth, and that person is the missionary, but that missionary depends upon knowing that once he descends that somebody is still going to hold the rope. Yeah, please tell me that you're going to hold the rope. Now, now, as Paul explains the mission, there's a certain process to it. And I want to walk you right through it. It starts, of course, with salvation. Back in verse 14, it says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay? So we're talking about salvation here. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But notice what it says. But how can they call? Understand? Salvation comes from calling. How can they call unless they have heard, believed? I'm sorry. So salvation depends upon their calling. The calling depends upon believing. Do you understand? There's a certain progress here, and Paul walks it back. But how can they believe unless they have heard? The believing comes from the hearing. Are you seeing that? Salvation comes from calling upon the name of the Lord. How can you call unless you have believed? How can you believe unless you have heard? How can you hear, hear unless someone preaches? Understand? And how can they preach unless someone sins? So there is this process of salvation as Paul describes it. Salvation comes from calling. Calling stems from believing. Believing comes from hearing. Hearing comes from preaching. And preaching comes because someone had to send the preacher. So do you see that? Paul sees this process as, as very, very integral. But the amazing thing is everything begins. The salvation of this person who calls upon the name of the Lord because they believe and have heard and heard the message as someone has preached it. It all is set in motion because someone is a sender. It all begins because someone is a sender. 
Someone is holding the rope. And this is exactly what Paul describes, and it's what you have to understand today. Missions requires goers, no doubt. We talk about missionaries all the time. What we don't often talk about is what it means to be a sender. Missionary, missions requires both. It requires goers, but it requires senders. Now, very, very truly, most of us are probably going to be senders. More of us should be goers, no question, but most of us are probably going to be senders. That's just reality. This week, I've been talking to Brett Hightower, who is my military mastermind, my military expert. I've been asking Brett about the ratio in the military of guys on the front line to the people behind the scenes. In other words, for every guy out front pulling a trigger, how many people are, are, are in other sort of support troops, support responsibilities? How many people behind the scenes does it take to support the one guy on the front line? And Brett says those numbers vary. It's kind of all over the place. It depends on what you count as support troops. It kind of depends on who you ask. But it's something like for every three people on the front line, there's, there's like 10 people behind the scenes. And that's the military. So think in terms of missions. It takes a lot of people to hold the rope. Miss Evelyn may have picked the very smallest boy to put down in the bucket, but she still got as many big boys as she could to hold the rope. You just can't drop a kid into the bowels of the earth and wave goodbye. Do you understand? You got to make sure that there's plenty of support, plenty of people who are holding that rope. And that is exactly why in the history of Christian missions, you have more people sending than you have going because honestly, it takes a lot of senders. It's a very, very important responsibility. Missions requires goers and missions requires senders. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about sending, but let's talk just a minute about going. How would you know if God is calling you to go? How would you know? Some of you have asked that question of yourself because there's a part of you that thinks you might be called to go. But it seems almost preposterous to imagine that, that you've been called to go. This is kind of what happens in your own head. Because immediately, even though you, you sort of feel this calling, you feel this sense that it might be you that needs to go, immediately there's this incredible sense of inadequacy. You don't feel adequate. Missionaries must be a different species. They must be a different kind of Christian. They must come from other places. They must be people who already speak other languages or who can handle spicy food or who love to fly on airplanes. I mean, you just sort of imagine that, that you can't be cut out of the same cloth as the missionaries that we see on the screen or the missionaries that you read about. These people seem like heroes of faith and you feel like a zero of faith. You don't feel heroic. You don't feel brave. And the whole idea just sort of terrifies you. It makes you feel really, really heavy, really sick. At the very same time, if God is calling you to go, there's typically this, this burden. And that's the only word to use. It's a burden. It's a kind of heaviness. And it's not altogether pleasant until you begin to obey it and follow it. It's just a heaviness. It's a burden. It's like something you carry. It's something that you can't ever completely put out of your mind. We sit in church and we play videos all the time of missionaries and mission stories, but it affects you differently. 
when you see the, the people, you, you have this burden, you have this, this passion for the nations, or maybe one particular place. Maybe you hear of a place in the world, whether it's Zimbabwe or Nicaragua or, 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 or Germany, but, but, but somehow your heart just gets focused on, on the people. And when you think about them, it, it, it crushes you. There's just something crushing about the fact that there are people who are living and dying without Jesus, not hearing the gospel. And, and you sit here in this church with, with hundreds of people, and you walk around in the United States with the luxury and blessings that we have and the ingratitude. And there's something about that that just almost just stirs your heart. You, you want to go. You feel like you need to go, and you can't get past that that. that burden. You can't get past that, that longing, that growing desire to go. I just want to say to you, you were born for this. You were born for this. And, and that burden, that, that longing, it really is something you need to think long and hard about. And understand, your life is short. And it never gets any easier. You, you, you can't wait till the kids are grown. Or you can't wait in, until somehow you, you, you get all your financial things together. You, you just can't wait because life just continues to pass. And people continue to die without Jesus. I don't know exactly what you're waiting for. It never gets easier. Brother Tim, I'd go today if the church will pay for it. And, and I hear that a lot. You know, I, Brother Tim, I feel called to go, but there's no way I can afford to go. You think the church would send me? Well, I'll be honest with you. Our, our church loves to send, and this is a great part of what our church does. But, but, but I don't think you should expect that the church is going to fully fund your mission. And, and I know that sounds harsh, but, but I'm just not sure that it's even wise for us to fully fund your mission. I was touring the city of Cincinnati with the North American Mission Board director, who is the director of all of the church planters in that city. And NAM, the North American Mission Board, has targeted Cincinnati as what they're calling a send city. It's a city where North American Mission Board and Southern Baptists are trying to send as many church planters there as, as we can, because Cincinnati has millions and millions and millions of people and almost no churches. You understand this? It's a spiritual, spiritual disaster in Cincinnati. So it's becoming a magnet for church planters, and Southern Baptists and Nam are drawing these guys to come in and plant churches. And, and so I just asked, I was asking about what it means to support one of these guys, and I asked the director there of, of the North American Mission Board, how much does Nam support these church planters who are North American Mission Board church planters? You know what the answer was? Guess how much they get a month from Nam? $200. Now, that may sound like a lot of money to you, but think about $200 for, for a man who's left his job and, and left everything to come and plant a church. And the church itself, you know, would need more than $200. I mean, that's just not a lot of money at all. $200 is almost nothing. And so I asked him, I mean, I just sort of said, that's nothing. That's not a lot of money. How in the world do you expect those guys to make it with $200? And he just simply said, we don't expect them to make it with $200. We know that they can't make it on $200. But then he said, but you know what? Sometimes raising support is the first real test for whether or not a person's really called, whether or not they really have what it takes. 
said that they really want these guys to be able to go out and talk to people and articulate their vision and articulate their mission and gain support. And if they aren't able to do that, the man said, I really don't know if they could go the full distance and plant the church. They need to be able to talk about their calling and and generate support. So so honestly, if God's calling you, you you can't just expect that the money's going to fall from the sky. You you will have to figure out how to get there and and how to generate support. And as a church family, we're going to love you and we're going to come beside you and do everything that we can to see that you can fulfill God's calling for your life. But but you just must not expect that anybody or any one church or any one source is just going to write your check. It's probably going to be harder than you've been thinking. Honestly, if it were easy, everybody would go. But it's hard. It's extremely hard. But even knowing that, even knowing the sacrifice, even with all of the unanswered questions, even thinking about leaving your family, even thinking about leaving your church family, even thinking about leaving the United States, you just cannot get past this desire, this longing, this burden. And this is what I'm telling you. You were born for this. You need to go. You need to follow this leading of God in your heart. You need to say yes. You need to turn loose. You need to take the step of faith. Your life is too short. You were born for this. You've got to go. And if God is calling you to go, why do you continue to stay? Why do you continue to live with this incredible sense that you're meant to be somewhere else? You need to go. You've got to go. But how can they go? Paul asks, how can they go unless someone sends them? So understand that there are really two callings here, and nobody's going to be left out of this thing. Missions requires goers, and missions requires senders. So you need to be asking, whoever you are, you need to be examining your own heart and asking, what is your part to play in this? Are you a goer, or are you a sender? So how do you know if you're a sender? How do you know if God is calling you to stay but to send? Well, I would say just like those who go, you also have a very strong passion for the gospel. If you don't, there's something profoundly wrong with your heart. Let's just start there. If the gospel is not the very center of your life, if if God's global purpose to save the world is not something that drives you, something you think about and that you're dedicating your life to, there's something wrong with what you're calling your Christian life. There's no such thing as a Christian not on mission. You understand? So in that sense, we're all the same. The goer and the sender both have this incredible heart, this passion for the nations and for the gospel. When you see the videos or you hear the stories of missionaries, you're not unmoved by that. You care very much that that there are people who die without Jesus. You care very much that they're hungry and sick and people without clean water. That bothers you and you want to be involved in the answers to the world's problems and you know that Jesus is the answer. But as you seek your heart, seek the Lord and search your own heart, you really do come to understand that that probably the very best way for you to, to serve the Great Commission is to stay where you are and do everything that you can to send as many people as you can. That becomes the life of the sender. In other words, we're still passionate about missions. 
but we're comfortable with the fact that God has called us to send others. I will say up front, and it's taken me a while to discern this calling, but that's what God has called me to be. I'm a sender. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God wants me to be a mission-minded, sending pastor. I am called to Woodburn Baptist Church. I know that with all of my heart. And honestly, that's not taking the easy way out. There are days I look at you all and would rather be somewhere else in the world, just to be honest. I love you guys. Kidding, not kidding kind of thing, you know. No, I do. I love you. I know that I'm where God wants me to be, but I also know that part of my responsibility as pastor is is to preach missions and to inspire those that God is calling to go and to motivate those that God is calling to send. I know that my role as a missions-minded sending pastor is very, very important. And your role as a sender or a goer is vital. You have to settle what it is God is calling you to do. And then you have to respond in full obedience. And if God is calling you to send, as I say, the gospel is still the center of your life. And and seeing the nations one for the Lord, that, that becomes your driving purpose. And honestly, as a sender, you have sacrifices to make too. Often we think about the missionaries who leave their families and leave their businesses and just go, that they give up everything to go to the missions field. And you assume that those who go pay that kind of price, and those who send, we just put a little extra money in the plate at Christmas. But that's not how senders live. It's an entire lifestyle. And honestly, as a sender, what we are called to do is lower our standard of living so that we can raise our standard of giving. Hello? We lower our standard of living so that we can raise our standard of giving. We don't live like the world because the world lives for itself. We don't live like our neighbors in the United States because everybody you know in the United States, they're all about themselves. They're all about keeping up with their neighbors. They're all about buying electronics and big screen TVs and nice cars and big homes and fancy clothes. I mean, they're all about material things and investing everything, buying things that can't last. But that's not who we are as believers. And it certainly has nothing to do with our lives as senders. We're not going to buy into the lies of our culture that, that tell us that we just must spend our money and, and continue to redecorate our houses and, and, and pimp our ride and all of that stuff. Do you understand? This is not the center of our life. So we make sacrifices also. We don't live as other people live because we have a purpose. We have a, a great commission to fulfill. And the life of a sender is very, very seriously focused on the advance of the gospel. We're going to do everything we can as senders to send as many people as we can to preach the gospel in as many places as we can possibly send them. We're talking about the gospel. Understand? So what exactly does it mean to sin? Well, let me take you to Scripture in a couple of places. First off, 3 John chapter 6. Third, I mean, when's the last time you heard me say turn to 3 John? 3 John verse 6. Or no chapters, there's just one chapter of verses. 3 John verse 6. The whole book of 3 John is written to a sender. Understand this? Paul is addressing in a short letter a sender, and his name is Gaius. 
And Gaius is an amazing man who, with his hospitality and generosity, makes sure that missionaries can continue to go on their way. And this is what Paul says to Gaius. Just listen, you will do well to send them on in a manner worthy of God. It's amazing. We're talking about sending missionaries on their way, and he says, you'll do well to send them in a manner worthy of God. For they began their journey for the sake of Christ and accepted no support from non-believers. In other words, it's the church's responsibility to support the missionaries. And you'll do well, he says to guys, to send them in a way that's worthy of God. In other words, you don't give just what's left over. You don't give second best. You don't, you don't necessarily sort of put yourself first and the missionary second. You do this in a manner worthy of God. This is a high calling. You with me? Now, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 13, next verse. Also, Paul is addressing the sender, and this is what he says. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Sending is a calling and a very, very important responsibility. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. What are their urgent needs? Let's talk about the sending life. As I said, we've talked a lot. You've heard a lot of descriptions of what the missionary life is like. What's the sending life like? I would break it down to just a few responsibilities, a few kinds of support to meet the urgent needs. And the first one I would call just simply moral support. It's moral support. When, when Kelly and Chisha Lawrence left Woodburn, Kentucky to go to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, uh, understand that they needed moral support, probably more than anything else. Before they were lowered down in the bucket into the bowels of the earth, they needed to know that somebody would be holding the rope. You understand? Because once you leave, you're out of sight. The church is out of your sight, and you know that you are out of the church's sight. And you just need to be able to trust that people will not forget you, that they will hold the rope for you. It's what we mean when we say that I'll be there for you or, or I'll have your back. It's that sense of moral support that people understand what you're doing, that they believe that you're called, and that they're going to be there for you and continue to remember you as long as God keeps you on the field. It's moral support. It's it's almost what it means when we say that you just keep the friendship going, even though that person is is no longer an everyday part of your life. You've got to hold the rope by offering moral support. The next I would say is is what we call practical support. Practical support. In other words, even though a missionary is called out into the field, it doesn't mean that they have all the gifts. They still only can do what they can do, and they still need the body of Christ. And so there are things that you can offer, there are things that you can do that will greatly enhance and advance the work of the missionary, and they need you to offer that kind of practical support. 
So for example, those of you who have gone crazy in the last month or two knitting scarves and hats for the, for the sex workers that Rebecca Morgan works with in Berlin, Germany. Those are women on the street and they're going to know somehow that there are people who care enough about them to provide them warm hats and scarves on the street for the winter. You did that. That's practical support. Maybe you have abilities to, to, to track down the cheapest flights, or maybe you have that ability, that, that expertise that the missionary lacks, and you stay connected enough that when they need what you can offer, they're able to call upon you. You offer practical support. Practical support. The next one, you know we're going to get to this, financial support. Everything costs money. Absolutely Everything costs money. Missionaries have to eat. In many cases, missionaries are feeding their village. It takes money. They need Bibles. They need church supplies. They just need everything. They need nearly everything that we need, and it costs money for them, sometimes more money. They can't just go down the street and buy it at the Baptist bookstore. Do you understand? Things have to be shipped in. It's sometimes an amazing logistical task to get them what they need. It costs money. And so providing financially is one of the most important ways that we hold the rope. We can't cut the rope financially when they are dependent upon the support of those who are sending them. Understand? Financial support is also probably second only to prayer support. We have to pray and remember to pray. You got to pray for the missionaries when you're in your, in your private prayer time. We have to pray for the missionaries when we're all together. Prayer is the most important thing we can offer. Do you understand? The power, God's power is released through prayer. And that power is exactly what the missionaries need on the field. They need to be able to preach sometimes with great courage. They need to be able to bridge language barriers and cultural barriers that that honestly is beyond them to bridge. They need a power outside themselves. And that power is from the Lord and it is released through our prayers. Prayer support also means that we remain connected enough to understand what they're facing currently. What the pressing needs are, what the concerns are, what the problems are, so then we can pray intelligently, and we can pray specifically, and we can celebrate when God answers our prayers. Prayer support is vital. Finally, communication support. This is one of the blessings of going and sending in our day and age, because there are so many ways to remain connected. How many of you are friends with Kelly and Trisha Lawrence on Facebook? Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I see pictures probably every other day. I got to watch that, that amazing kitchen and dining hall get, get built step by step. I love that. We can email. We can text sometimes. You can use Viber, which is pretty amazing. We'll talk about that uh, after the sermon's over, if you wish. There's so many ways to be connected. And honestly, you can still write letters like the pioneers did, if that's the way you, you want to do it. You can still write letters, but the important thing is to stay in communication. Just communication. You ever talk to missionaries on the field? I, I, I talk to several of them all of the time, and interesting, lots of times, when I say, what do you need from me? They'll say, I, I really wish you'd just kind of keep me posted on what's going on. I'd just like to know what books you're reading or what books other people are reading. I'd I just like to know. Understand, they left all of that. They left their family. They left their friends. They left their culture. 
They just want to know what's going on. I mean, you understand, they can't watch Walking Dead. My heart feels sad for missionaries around the world who can't watch Walking Dead. You understand? And I'm kind of making a joke, but kind of not. They just sort of are cut off from everything that, that you and I are plugged into, and, and they like to stay plugged in. And so honestly, Trisha Lawrence has said, gosh, sometimes just send us movies. If y'all watch a movie and it's a really good movie with your family, send it. Because apparently Kelly and Trisha, after all the kids are in bed, and you have a hundred, after all the kids are in bed, they sneak off into the room and watch movies. You understand? They've been watching the same movie now for five years. Send them a movie. Send them a movie. You understand? Because if that were you, wouldn't you really appreciate that? If people just remember you in, in those ways, they just remember that you really like Heath bars and you probably haven't had a Heath bar in five years and they just send you a box of Heath bars or videos, cards. You understand? It's, it, it's communication. Because when you're the one stepping into the bucket and being lowered into the earth... Uh, you just want to feel like that there are going to be, be people who will hold that rope. Understand? Some of you are called to be goers. And you've been sitting around here a little bit too long. It, it, it's time to go. Others of you don't feel called to go. So understand what God is calling you to do. you got to take up the rope. It is no one's calling to sit around and do nothing. Either we're going or we are sending. And since most of us are called to be senders, we need to be very, very serious about what God is calling us to do. You and I are holding the rope. Before we give, pray with me. Lord, there are men and women in this house in the sound of my voice right now who know that they are called to go. Lord, I pray that this is the day when they finally understand that they were born for this. They step into your plan and they begin to obey with courage. Bless them, Lord, and provide for their needs and raise up those who will hold the rope for them. Lord Jesus, as a church at Woodburn, Kentucky, most of us, Lord, don't really feel adequate to do much. We feel like what little we give or what little we can offer in terms of support would literally be a drop in the bucket. But Lord, for the man standing in the bucket, sometimes a drop in the bucket is an answer to prayer. Sometimes the drop in the bucket makes all the difference between whether they can do what they need to do or whether they simply can't. So, Lord, all of us together, may we contribute our drops in the bucket that the bucket may be full to overflowing. Lord Jesus, our lives are short, but the world is big, and the commission that you've given the church is great. And God, we honestly can't do all of it, but we can do our part of it. So bless Woodburn Baptist Church, Lord, that we do all of our part of it. May we as a church hold the rope of missions, Lord Jesus, until everyone has heard, until every soul has had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, and until, Jesus, you come to save the world. Until that day, Lord Jesus, may we all be Christians on mission 
holding the rope, living the gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus for the sake of the world.